Hi, this is Liz Tinkham, and welcome to Third Act, a podcast about people embracing the third act of their lives with a new sense of purpose and direction. The third act begins when your script ends, but your show's not finished. Today, I talk with highly energetic Donna Arender, the game changer. In our discussion, she says, sports helped define me. And wow, did they ever. Donna grew up playing stickball in the streets. She played college ball at Queens College in New York, went on to play professional women's basketball in the Women's Pro Basketball League, and eventually made a career of sports in broadcasting, marketing, and by becoming the commissioner of the WNBA. When she stepped back from her sports career in 2010, she wanted to share and give back some of the valuable lessons she learned to the women and girls of her community of Jacksonville Beach, Florida. So she founded Generation W, a one-day event to bring together and build thought leadership, confidence, and engagement around the currency of great ideas. Donna believes that when people, especially women, come together, magic happens. And indeed it has. Today, Generation W has grown nationally and includes programs for girls, community, and a book of inspirational stories called Wisdom. And Generation W just keeps on growing. Talk about a third act. Donna is nonstop. Please enjoy my conversation with Donna Arender. And if you like what you hear, submit a review on your favorite podcast platform. Donna, welcome to Third Act. Third time's a charm. I'm so happy to have you here today. I am thrilled, Liz. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so third time's a charm because we've had this scheduled two prior times and I had to cancel once because it was 108. Uh, it was 96 actually in my house here in Seattle and then my my internet broke. So anyway, appreciate you putting up with me. First question though is, you know, you've got a multi-sport background and we're going to talk a lot about, a, about basketball. Is it your favorite sport to play or do you still play? I do. I love it. I, I still love it. It's to me, it's poetry in motion. Um, oh, there's that. something magical about it. And it's funny. I took dance lessons when I was young for eight years. If you would, if you see me, like grace would not be anywhere associated with me. <laughs> if I'm game, someone would make me legally change it. But yeah. that said, there's this grace uh, in the game. There's this intuitive sense of motion with other people. And, you know, I also like to shoot, so it, it works out pretty well. <laughs> did your, just as an aside, you've got two kids. Did they uh, play basketball? Yeah. Interestingly enough, my husband's a professional golfer, not on the PGA tour. And both my sons, now they play golf, but growing up, we were a basketball household. Yes. And one of them right now actually is, is, is playing professional basketball overseas. So it's fun for me because I get to play with him. And it's uh, it's such pure joy for me. Well, you just to build on that sports discussion, you're the first person I've ever interviewed whose first act was playing college and pro basketball. And you and I are about the same age. And I have to say, I didn't know any girls or women who went to college to play college sports. Those were sort of the early days of Title IX. So how did you decide to play sports in college? And did you get any pushback from your parents? Uh, well, yes. Uh, I'm going to answer the second question first. Yes, my parents okay. for a very long time did not understand my fascination, uh, the time I spent around sports. And to this day, as I travel around the country and I speak in different places or from places where my parents are, I'll always look into them and they'll say, Mom, Dad, you see, it worked out okay. 
And it's a big lesson for all of us, I think, as we parent um, and as we are continuing to be parents, doesn't matter how old your parents are, they're always going to have questions about what you do and why you do it, right? Matter of fact, as the older you get, it's like kind of even more surprising about how strong they are about their feelings about what you're doing and how you're doing it. Right, exactly. Um, going, back, going back to your first question, though, about sport, I was definitely an anomaly. There weren't many like me. Um, not that I was so unique. It's just that you know, we weren't encouraged to play sports. We, it wasn't like uh, there was a lot of teams. There wasn't equipment no. in the marketplace. There wasn't a lot of scholarships, if any. And so, therefore, I remember being, I think, I don't know what grade I was in, maybe sixth grade. And I used to like to play stickball on our street. I grew up in New York, and stickball is a game you play in New York. And I played with all the boys. And one day, my father said, oh, my, he came home, and he said, guess what? Uh, I don't think you should be playing that anymore. So you talk about my parents. And I'm like, why not? He goes, I, I just don't think it's right. And what I really internalized was you're a girl and this is not something girls do. Maybe you'll end up being a tomboy. Um, I don't think so. So what I used to do is I would play and then I would hear his car coming around the corner and then I would sit on the curb and say, look, dad, I'm just, I'm just watching and cheering the boys on. I don't know why. He thought, I honestly don't know why he thought that would be a better thing. But that said, <laughs> So you went on to play in the Women's Pro Basketball League coming out of college. What was that then? And what was it like to play pro ball at that time? Give us some color on that. Yeah, well, there's a, there's a lot. Of, first of all, I played at one of the best teams in the nation in college. We made history, which is Queens College in New York City, part of the city university system. I played for one of the greatest coaches of all time in Lucille Cavallis. She's still around. Oh, yeah. yeah, I've heard of her. I, yeah. I, I continue to thank her to this day for what she taught us and what I've been able to take away from her teachings. But we played in Madison Square Garden, the first women's uh, oh my gosh. game ever played in the Mecca of basketball. And, you know, I was really just learning the game as, as a young woman. You know, we didn't get to play a whole lot. And I was really distraught because I felt like I was just starting to come into my own in terms of understanding the game, playing the game. I wanted more, and there was no more. I played AAU. I guess you could have gone to Europe. And then all of a sudden, this league popped up. This guy, Bill Byrne, it's called the, the God, I have my ball right around here somewhere, the Women's Professional Basketball League, the WBL. And I got a call and said, do you want to try out? I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm in graduate school now. And I'm like, yes, I want to try out. And it was like the greatest three years, I have to say. It was in some ways like a cartoon people just stumbling all over each other. In, but but there was a genuine desire to create this new path. There'd never been a women's professional basketball league before. We played in all different markets. And one day the market was there and there wasn't a whole lot of money. I mean, I negotiated my own contract. But okay. I have to say that it was a tremendous highlight. And to this day, a an accomplishment that helps define, you know, how I think about the world. Oh, that's so cool. And so the WBL, is it still in place or has that no. morphed into the women's, it's a women's basketball league? What is it now? No, it didn't morph. It, it, it came, it was born, it had three seasons and it went away. It died. Yeah. And then it took after that many years before the ABL came. And then David Stern says, we'll do the WNBA. So that began like 96, 97. So it was many years later that those two leagues then willed themselves into being. And ultimately, the WNBA, here we are 25 years later, and I'm eminently proud of having a role in that. But at that point in time, did I ever, ever foresee that as an option? No, never saw that. 
What do you think of the NCAA ruling around letting athletes sort of own their images and might, you know, being able to potentially make money while they're in college? Do you think that's good for women's sports? I think actually it's very good for women's sports. When it first came out, I goes, so this will be terrible for women's sports. I'm like, actually not. You know, women sports tend to get buried in the hierarchy of consideration and import. And there's so many fans of women's sports, especially at the collegiate level. Every sport has its own ecosystem of fandom. And so this gives them, those, each of those teams, the ability to have their athletes earn in, on their own merits. And I think that's really great. I think there are dangers and I think there are tremendous assets and they will be played out over the next couple of years as we learn how to make this work to the betterment of all. I think I saw a headline that the the gal from Minnesota, I think she plays for Connecticut and I think her first name is Paige. Do you know who I'm talking about? The basketball player. Uh, oh, oh, might, oh, yeah. Yugers, yes. Yeah. She might be able to make up a million dollars next year. I thought that's great because her I don't know if you've read this story, like her best friend is the kid at Gonzaga who's like the superstar and they grew up playing basketball together. Yeah. And of course, he's going to go on to make God knows how much money. Right. So it's nice that she'll be able to earn it anyway. So back to you. So how did you go from the WBL to the PGA tour? How did you get into that? Oh, there's, what'd you there's do there? couple steps in between. So I, I'm playing <laughs> professional basketball. Yeah. I spend a lot of time engaged with the media. And I ended up having my own cable television show in Chicago. And I did a, I did actually sports broadcasting on the radio. I, I still do love the radio. And then I was able to get a job really, really, really networking, like a friend to a friend to a friend um, at ABC Sports. So at, at, at the network, which is like the king of all everything. And that's where I began my media career was in um, sports television. All right. And then you end up uh, over on the PGA Tour. And what did you do for them? So I spent three years in actually, you know, I always like to talk, talk about this because we're talking about different kind of acts, Liz. I worked at the network, which is big corporate life, right? Experience and animal unto itself, right? I then worked for an up-and-coming company, which is now a huge corporate entity, but I worked for, a, it was called Rainbow. Now it's called All the Sports Channels. But it was when, it, it, it was an up-and-coming, barrier-breaking kind of technology, right? So you're in this challenger kind of industry. And so that had its own rhythm. And then I, I had my own company when I was in my 20s. And so I learned how to work out of my pocket. And I will also say, when you have that myriad of experiences where you work for a big company, which is cushy in its own way, and it has its own political essence, and then you work for a startup, right? Something that's going to change the world. And then you work out of your own pocket. It kind of prepares you for whatever might come. And um, I felt fortunate for all of that at the time. And I still do. I still do. I still think if you want to really learn about business, you work out of your own pocket because it teaches you so much. I mean, you were really young to be doing that. I mean, most people don't get into some of that stuff until they're much, much older. So that's fantastic. Yeah, it was good. It was really, it was really good. But like, I didn't have a plan. I just want to let, I just want to let you know that I did never had a plan. I think the other day was the first day I sat down. I think maybe I need a plan. <laughs> <laughs> So eventually you become the commissioner of the WNBA. So tell us what the state of the women's game was at, at that point and how did you get that job? Okay, so I was work, I worked, I was 17 years at the PGA Tour. Um, loved it. 
was given tremendous amounts of responsibility and sway to create and develop and build businesses. And um, one day I got a call and it was Adam Silver. Oh my gosh. Okay. When we had become friends over the years and I had lots of friends in the industry, everybody loved golf and I was out there. I, you know, I developed our overall global media strategy, presence, businesses, whatever. And he said, hey, and he knew how much I love basketball because when I had my own company, I had actually done a pet project for the commissioner at the time, David Stern. Uh-huh. And, and um, he said, hey, you know, it's time. We're looking. Would you be interested? And that never crossed my mind either. I was totally immersed in the world of golf, men's golf, professional golf. And I said, you know, let me think about it. And we kept talking and talking and talking. And it meant a huge, dramatic change. I was very, very comfortable in every single way. I mean, this job worked for me. I worked for it. I didn't live far from it. I had young children. I had access to the airplane. I was paid well. Like, listen, there was no reason to leave. But I was intrigued. I was intrigued. And I felt like, um, as I have said, sports helped define me. And I feel like everything I've been able to achieve is because of the role that sports played in my life. And now I had a chance to pay it forward by leading a women's sports organization in the sport that I loved. And I love many, don't, don't get me wrong. And so um, had a long talk with my family and decided that, you know what? There's not many jobs like this to be a commissioner or president of a league, uh, especially one that was rumored to be failing. And so I said, I'm going to do this. And so I said, yes. You know, I think today I think of women's basketball and I live in a town that's basketball crazy. So I just think of it as so positive. But when we were prepping for this, you said that there was a really bad, toxic vibe then. Tell us about that. Well, I, I mean, I've, I've written about it recently as, as part of our 25-year-old memories. People, there was, there was a... There was a racist slant to the way people felt about the women's game. I mean, probably about, you know, in general. There was a homophobic kind of trope that kind continued to play out. Obviously a misogynistic, if you will. And people felt like, you know, why is the NBA supporting this? They should make it on their own, but they can't because they're not that good. The business doesn't make sense. I mean, it was very challenging. Now, at some point, what you just got to do is you just got to say, hey, I see the greater good here. And I did. And I got to experience it in arenas across the country. And I'm going to fight for that greater good. And I'm going to fight for these athletes who have every right to be where they are, to be rewarded and awarded with compensation and the kind of social prizes that come to elite professional athletes. But it, you know, it wasn't. It's not. It, it wasn't an easy road. It's not an easy road now. But I am happy to say, for the first time, I honestly see it getting better. Yeah. And as you look back on that experience, what are you most proud of? I am most proud that we were able, against all odds, to accomplish what everyone said we couldn't. And so when I came in, all the business metrics were going in the wrong direction, and we were able to turn them around. Our, our attendance was going down. When I left, the attendance was going up. Our mm-hmm. television ratings were going down. Their television ratings were going up. We increased national sponsorship for the first time. We actually raised enough money to pay teams to from the center, which is what a league does, to our individual franchises. Our local sponsorships went up. Our, you know, All those things 
We had a digital presence that we didn't have before. We created our own network. We were the first ones to pioneer patches on jerseys. And by the way, I read a thing yesterday that the NHL is doing it. The NBA now has it in their practice jerseys. We were the forerunners for that other than the European soccer market, right? So we can see part of the business group that wouldn't do it. So lots of pride. And then of course, of course, in the great relationships with the athletes, the owners, the coaches, that has, you know, continued to this day. You've taken time out. So you decide to come home back to Florida and spend some time with your twin boys. Take us through that decision. And did you know what was going to be next? Did you know what your next act was going to be? I did not. I knew it was time to come home. And I got some great advice, right? When you, you know, you call your girlfriends, call your whatever. And I called, I called one of mine and she said, whatever you do, just start a company right now. You don't have to exactly. Oh, what? what is that was the advice? Nobody yeah. ever gave me that advice. That's great advice. Okay. Said, start a company right now. And I said, okay. I mean, my phone was ringing. It was, I mean, lots of people were calling me for, to do things. She said, start a company and you'll figure out what it's going to do. And so I did. And she was right. And I did. Is that how you started? Is that when you started Generation W? Yeah, not long after that. Like one of the things I really wanted to do was I wanted to bring something. All of a sudden, after living, I don't know how many years here, I was going to really live here in Jacksonville Beach. And I wanted to be a part of where I was living and perhaps bring some value to where I was living as opposed to being a traveling visitor. And so um, that's how Generation W started. I knew from my work at the WNBA that working on behalf of women and girls and there are our vital impact, our vibrancy that we bring to co- communities in which we live at so many different levels was a place I wanted to be engaged with and help amplify. So I just began and said, okay, I've seen this, this, and this. I am, well, let me try to do something. Let me try to, let me try to do something here. And that's how it began. And what is Generation W? So Generation W is a not-for-profit, but it is a community that is focused on educating, inspiring, and connecting both women and girls in the service of building better communities and and, and, and becoming, well, it, it's about helping us be the best we can be. And we do that, right? Through, you know, the way we look at ourselves, but also how we connect with each other and lift each other up. And the product of that are healthier families, healthier companies, yeah. right? Healthier did I say communities? Healthier families, healthy companies, healthier communities, right? And, yes. and and the power of social engagement, which if there's anything we've learned from the pandemic, and there is a lot we have learned, but what has really stood out to me is how incredibly essential social capital is, how it defines our humanity, and that how how bereft we are without it. Now, you, it includes now Generation Wow, Generation Works, and then your book, Wowsdom. So t- take us through what is each of those separate programs? Well, W is our big community. It focuses on women. Men are included. We're very inclusive. We've always been inclusive. We've been always very, very intentional about representing all. So our, our diverse, inclusive it's, 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 we don't have to really talk about it. It's who we are. It's how we operate. And then I always want to do something with girls. In our second year, we did this panel 
on, um, we called it Generation Wow. I always wanted to call our girls Generation Wow because they wow us with what they can be and who they are now and what they're accomplishing. And we had seven girls on a stage and we, and we had like almost a thousand women in the audience. And we said, who are you? What's important to you and how do we help you? And it was so incredibly impactful, impactful that uh, we left. And I said to one of my colleagues, we got to create Generation Wow. We got to create something like Generation W. We will create an inspiring educational mentorship leadership event. And that following October or November, we launched. And um, we did that for a couple of years and then the girls wanted more and they created a club. I said, okay, if the girls are gonna create a club, then we have to really figure out how we're gonna program those clubs and build clubs. And so then we wrote this book called Wowsdom, The Girl's Guide to the Positive and the Possible, which was the real key question. What we saw happening was, how do you take the wow of girls and combine it with the wisdom of women? And that's ultimately how we came up with Wowsdom. And is this, is the programs that you offer, are they just in Florida or you have them across the United States? Yeah, they're across the right. Right now we're, we're actually preparing for a big partnership with the Portland School District in Oregon. We've had clubs in New York, in Virginia, across Florida, in Louisville. Well, in Louisville, we did a program and we're strategically thinking through what we can deliver, what we want to deliver theoretically over the next yeah now i need a now i need a plan list so now we need a plan <laughs> well, just coming to us and we have to say okay what is it you know we want to make the greatest impact on the greatest amount of girls what does that look like and how do we accomplish that and i'm assuming the pandemic didn't necessarily slow you down you just switched to all virtual programming we did and it also got us more national as as those, those kind of programs did a matter of fact uh, we have a monthly show called wowsdom live where we bring on a great guest and we surround her and we bring girls from all over the country for that with really exciting, fun conversations. And they get access to people they otherwise wouldn't in a very personal way. And so that's pretty exciting. And to each other, by the way, which really try to connect them with each other because it's so good to know in this world that you are not alone. Yeah. And if our listeners want to get involved in Generation W or Generation Wow, how would they do it? Well, first of all, I'm hoping they will. Yeah, and I think a lot of them would. Yeah. You go to genwnow.com. Okay, we'll put that in the show notes so people can get involved. Yeah, absolutely. And then what is the Launch Her program that you've got? So what happens because we are a, you know, a community gathering, community, we have people come from 30 states, by the way. Maybe this year will be 31. I don't know. But we have an area where people gather in our, lo- in our lobby and we said that we want to use that space to its best possible purpose. And women like to shop, but they also like to support other women. So we decided that we would create a more formalized program. I would, I would always meet people and they would say, oh, I'm working on this new business. I'm like, okay, great. Do you want to share your business with our audience? And they'd say yes. So essentially we said, we'll pick four to five companies We will help support them by giving them a space to share their wares. We'll give them some marketing support throughout the year on our website. We'll highlight them in our program, but really try to give them an additional lift as they're developing their business. And so that's what we is launcher. And we've had some really great women and companies come through who actually are doing quite well right now. And I can't say we're responsible, but I'd like to think that we've been a very positive and confidence building as well as market awareness builder for them as they look to create something special. 
Oh, very cool. Very cool. Similar in this, Kate Eisler, my very first guest on the show, introduced us. So similar to sort of what she's doing with the W Marketplace. Yeah, Kate's ways. doing it on a, on a great scale. And we love what Kate's doing. Really supportive. As a matter of fact, we're looking to partner with her as well. I love her. I love her sense of connectivity. As I think about all my third act guests, you stand out because you've succeeded in what I would call sort of the the menace or madness of men's careers, right? You were a sports and you played, you broadcast, you lead in the PGA, the WNBA, and arguably in a much harder time for women, you know, because again, I think about what age you are and what age I am and, and people just weren't doing that. I might've thought, boy, if I'd made it against all the odds, you girls have it easier. And I, I might've just kicked back, but you're giving back, right? You just, you've sort of parlayed it. What did those experiences teach you that things should be different for girls today? I mean, what, uh, you know, do you think things are different? What, what have you learned since then that gives you hope that women who go into sports and sports careers, things are going to be better for them? Well, I think there's, there's certainly a greater awareness, but there also seems to be more social acceptability and accountability. You know, if you look at women on boards, for example, it, interestingly enough, I am for the first time. This is one of my goals. So I, this is a, a maybe this is my fifth act. I wanted to be a public I'm not company. Sure. I think you're on 20. I'm just listening to this whole thing. But keep going. <laughs> yeah. I, but I want to be on a public company board. And if you look at that, right, the numbers were abysmal, right? The way it all happens. And now they're growing. Why? Because there's an accountability. Companies are being held accountable for the diversity of who they have on their boards because that has a direct impact on how they run their businesses. And their businesses are not directed to just one group, right? It is, you know what I mean? And, you know, we know obviously the consumer uh, economic impact of women. So I, when, when I look at that, I think that things are better. But I also don't ever fool myself to think that it's all all right, because it's not. Cultural themes, social behaviors, they are born from tens to hundreds of years of systematized behavior. And it takes a while to change things. <laughs> it really, really does. If we just look at basketball as an example, I mean, do you forever foresee in your lifetime that women's WNBA players would make the same amount of money as the NBA players? You know, I choose not to say they should make the same thing, although I, I have to say I did a press conference earlier today because I'm involved with this up-and-coming women's golf professional event coming to our area, and we're doing all the women's programming for it, and I've had, obviously, a lot of background in golf, and one of the county commissioners said, oh, I really think women and men in sports, they're about equal now. And, and I honestly, I took a deep breath. I'm thinking, okay, if he thinks that, then we're losing. Yeah, we're losing. yeah, yeah. Right? He's not following women's soccer to begin with, that's for sure. So, Or, or, women, or women's basketball. Basketball or anything. Yeah, any of these sports. The economic disparity in some ways is very disheartening, but it's starting to move and... I don't know. I, that's why I love Billie Jean King. Her new book's out, by the way, All In. I promised her I'd go uh, buy a, a bunch of them. I, I, what she did at the, at, oh, she's just amazing. And we have so much to be grateful to her about for. For our ambitious listeners, of which we have a lot of them, who are thinking about starting a program or movement for women and girls. Cause we, and we've had some women on who have done stuff like that, notably Kate and some other ones, you know, what's your advice? How do you get started? 
Well, first of all, have a passionate pursuit. Try to figure out how you want to channel that desire to help women and girls. Is it and and who and who exactly are you targeting? Because it's a big space, right? I had a woman call me months ago and says, "Hey, I want to do something for elementary school girls." I'm like, "Great." And she wrote, she just sent me, she wrote this incredibly gorgeous program, but she knew where she wanted to go. And the advice that I gave her was about focusing on where she wanted to go. And then also understanding where the girls were and how the schools work. So understanding what's going to impact the area of impact you want to have is also important. Yeah. And I think you started fairly locally, right? You said you decided to invest in your own community and that, and then take it broadly from there. Correct. I, 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 I knew that I wanted to build it here but I always felt that I wanted to have national impact as well. So it's like it, my friend Jerry said to me, you know what, build it to be national, but have deep roots in the community and that will make it really different because then everyone here continues to benefit from the goodness and the programming that that you will bring. And I thought that was great. I, she's a same woman, by the way, who told me to start a company. So she's filled with good advice. <laughs> I see looking at you now going, wow, like I didn't realize it would go to that, but that's, that was fantastic advice. So I thought about naming this podcast. I'm not done yet. So what aren't you done with yet? It's funny. I've been thinking about that. I don't know. I've got a couple of other ideas in my head. I do. Are they around women and girls or what are you thinking? Well, yeah. Well, listen, there's tremendous amount of opportunity and expansion around the work that we do. Obviously, oh, maybe it's not that obvious. Our Wowsden book has been really successful. I love it. I would love to write another one that is a follow-up to that. So that's part of it. And really thinking about really valuable, meaningful content, especially targeted to girls. So there's that piece of it. Our clubs are, I mean, the amount of requests now to create clubs for girls, there's just not programming. There's just not enough programming. And I got to think about, we are, our whole team, about what does that look like and how do we want to play in it? Our Generation W programming continues to soar. And so where do we take that across the country, working with companies and their ER, their uh, their special affinity groups and things like that? So there, there's a there's a lot of opportunity to do lots of different things. We did, we created a program called Team Wowsdom, which was dedicated towards young teen athletes, female athletes. They have their own special kind of psyche and needs, and we wanted to provide some programming for them. The danger for me is just to become too diffuse and not stay focused and see things, you know, all the way through. So I just got to be careful about that. No, oh, well, it's fantastic. Hopefully they'll come back to the show on your 6th, 7th, 10th, 20th, 100th act. So thanks so much for joining today, Donna. And we will publish the information on Generation W in the show notes. Thank you, Liz. All right. Thanks for joining me today to listen to the Third Act Podcast. You can find show notes, guest bios, and more at thirdactpodcast.com. If you enjoyed our show today, please subscribe and write a review on your favorite podcast platform. I'm your host, Liz Tinkham. I'll be back next week with another guest who's found new meaning and fulfillment in the third act of their life.